You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On Sunday, September 27th of 2015, in Vaughan, Ontario, a tragedy that would be completely avoidable and murderous, no matter how you look at it, occurred. A family was out for a drive, enjoying a beautiful day in the early fall in southern Ontario. An entire family was torn apart in a moment because of the idiotic decision of one man. One man decided that he was okay to drive, even though he was not, and he destroyed a family because of that decision and the reverberations of that decision. Welcome to episode 37 of Gone But Never Forgotten, The Neville Lake Tragedy. Welcome to GBNF, and thank you for spending some time with us as we continue to look at the ugliest stories in Canadian and worldwide history. This week is certainly a sad and devastating case, and it is unlike any that we have covered here in the past. Some will argue that this is not a case of murder. Some will argue that this is a case of tragedy, but not of murder. But, as we go on, I think that you will hear many things that should prove to you that this is a case that is about murder. A case that shows an awful part of the Canadian legal system, and a case that shows that not all people and all cases are treated equally. I know that this is a case that you certainly are passionate about, as are so many others. There are a lot of things that I love about this country, and there are some things that I don't like about this country. One of the things that I certainly don't like is that there are not harsher penalties for certain crimes, and we're about to spend a lot of time talking about one of those crimes here today. But we will get to that. I want to start off the episode again by thanking our patrons that support the show on Patreon.com, by buying merch and giving one-time donations and ongoing donations to the show. I know we thank people a lot, um, but perhaps today we should talk a little bit about how their help aids us. That's a good idea. Donations that are made to GBNF certainly help us out so much. As you all know, at this point we are an independent podcast. Just a husband and wife working hard to bring you new content each and every week. What that means is that everything that we do for the podcast is funded by us. I think that a lot of people actually believe that making a podcast is easy or that you start making money right away, but that is certainly not the case. It takes a lot of hard work and persistence for money to start coming in. 
For sure. I can't even tell you how many websites we're paying fees to, how many books we're buying to ensure that we get all of the information that we can on all of the cases that we cover. Each and every week, I spend time looking through newspapers, reading books, and scouring the internet for all details that I can find. We strive to bring you an open, honest, and complete coverage on any case that we cover. All of that is to say that if you decide to help us out in any way, that money does go immediately into the podcast. It helps us to cover those expenses and helps us to keep working hard to grow so that one day we will wind up making our dreams come true with this passion project. I think that I've said it before on the podcast, but I dream of the day where I can create content full-time and work from home on various avenues in that vein. You have always been a dreamer, but this is one dream that I totally believe will come true for you. You do love to research and learn and teach. It will all come together. For sure. We live in an incredible time where details and research is always at your fingertips. And for that, I'm totally grateful. I do love every aspect of putting this podcast together. But that's probably enough shilling for one episode. I never know where explaining ends and begging begins. I feel like begging began today, so yeah. Suffice to say, we appreciate every one of you that's listening um, that we have and every listener that we will gain in the weeks, months, and years to come. If you want to know how you can help us out or want to ask any questions, you can find us on any social media platform. We're easy to find and we love to hear from you. I feel like today we're about to get really passionate, angry, and in-depth. But there's no time like the present, right? Let's talk about the tragedy that took place in September of 2015. On September 27th, 2015, as mentioned off the top of the episode, a family was out driving together in Vaughan, Ontario. Inside of the vehicle at the time were 65-year-old grandfather, Gary Neville, his grandchildren, 9-year-old Daniel Neville Lake, 5-year-old Harry Neville Lake, and 2-year-old Millie Neville Lake. With them were Gary's wife, their grandmother, Nariza, and the great-grandmother of the children, Josefina Frias. It was a sunny, clear afternoon right at the start of autumn, and there was no warning of what was about to happen in a moment's notice. At the same time, on the same stretch of road, a man who had just landed at Pearson International Airport was on his way home after having his bachelor party in Miami, Florida. 29-year-old Marco Muzo was behind the wheel of a vehicle, and he should not have been on the road at all. The following is from the agreed statements of facts that was put together at the time of trial. Marco had landed, passed through customs, and then got behind the wheel of a Jeep Grand Cherokee and headed towards home, which was in Vaughan, Ontario. Along that drive home, he would blow right through a stop sign at approximately 85 kilometers per hour and slam directly into the minivan that had the Neville Lake family inside. The accident caused the van to come into contact with a third vehicle, a Mercedes, that also had two occupants inside. We should mention that evidence would show that Muzo had actually pressed down on the brakes for almost four seconds before blowing through that stop sign. 
That means that he had already slowed considerably to that 85 kilometers per hour, which means he was going much, much faster in what was a posted 80 kilometer per hour zone. Wow. When police arrived at the scene of the accident, what they found was a man that was a complete mess. Officers would say that Muzo was unsteady on his feet. He was trying to lean on people at the scene for balance. He had glossy eyes and he had urinated himself at the scene of the accident. Officers also noticed immediately that Muzo smelled like alcohol on his person and on his breath. It would be reported by someone familiar with the bachelor party that Muzo was drinking heavily on his private plane back to Toronto. More often than not, these types of things happen late at night. That was not the case here. This accident, as mentioned, happened under the cover of sunshine. The accident took place around 4.10 p.m. local time. This was a mid-afternoon decision to climb into a vehicle and turn it into a weapon in the hands of a man who was well over the legal limit for drivers. Two hours after the accident, two breathalyzer tests were done. It was discovered that even at that point, Muzo had a blood alcohol level that was way over the limit. His test came back at 192 milligrams and and 204 milligrams of alcohol for every 100 milliliters of blood. The legal limit is 80 milligrams per 100 milliliters. Even after two hours had passed, he still had a blood alcohol level that was between two and three times the legal limit. This is a man that was not just buzzed as he made the decision to drive. First responders at the scene would call the scene a first responders worst nightmare and you can imagine why. These heroes in our society are trained to deal with anything and everything, but there are very few things that can prepare you for, or that are worse on the psyche than, arriving at a scene and finding such a terrible accident with children involved. Not to mention you take in something like this and know that it was caused by a young man who obviously believed that he was good to drive. In this case, you had more than that though. You had a spoiled brat who not only believed that he was invincible, he perhaps was to a certain extent. We'll get more into that later. First, I want to talk about the only important people in this accident. The family that was tragically destroyed by the actions of a self-important man. Most people have an incredibly difficult time dealing with tragedy, for obvious reasons, when they lose a family member or a friend. In this situation, I don't think most can even fathom the scope of the grief, depression, and difficulty that someone would go through if they were friends or family with the Neville Lake family. In one awful moment, really, four members of this beautiful family were killed. Death is nearly impossible to cope with at any time, but multiple deaths like this is really unfathomable. Not only deaths, but of course, as the result of a tragedy. A tragedy that did not need to happen. At the scene of the crash, Gary and nine-year-old Daniel would be pronounced dead. Daniel's five-year-old brother Harrison and two-year-old sister Millie would later die in the hospital. Daniel and Harrison were students at St. Joachim School in Brampton, Ontario. Unfortunately, we were not able to find too many details to share on these precious babies who were taken from this world way, way too soon. 
most likely because at their young ages, they were just that, precious children with entire lives ahead of them. The parents of these three children, Edward Lake and Jennifer Neville Lake, had enjoyed a night out together the night before, and the children had been staying with their grandparents. Jennifer vividly remembers being told by a friend that there had been a bad accident, and Jennifer turned on the television. She realized immediately that the van in the accident looked just like their van. She called another friend and asked them to call the police and see if the license plate matched. She had been trying to call her parents and they were not answering the phone and they were late to the house to drop the children off. Heartbreakingly, Jennifer was able to get her mom on the phone. She was trapped in the wreckage from the accident and she told Jennifer that the babies were dying. Edward came home from work right away and the two headed to the hospital for sick children in Toronto, already knowing that they had lost two members of their family. On the way to the hospital, it was reported that Edward had tried to jump out of the vehicle in what was believed to be a suicide attempt because of the gravity of the situation. Who could blame him? The couple managed to make it to the hospital in time to say goodbye to Harrison and Millie, who tragically died in the hospital. This one is so hard to talk about, much less go through. I can't even imagine. Like you said earlier, this one, I don't think you can possibly understand what this family was going through. Well, let's talk about the other side of the equation before we talk about what happened after. Let's talk about the self-entitled, rich little bastard that made the same decision that far too many people make. Marco Muzzo Jr. was born in 1987 and he was born into a family that had an embarrassment of riches. Marco was son to billionaire Robert Muzo, who at one point was listed as the 52nd richest person in Canada with a net worth of 1.7 billion US dollars. The family owned Merrill Contractors, a massive construction company that built up much of Mississauga and they did a lot of work in the Toronto area. One of the ways that Muzo's family name and money can be measured is by the fact that he would also get lawyer Brian Greenspan onto the case. In Canada, Greenspan is one of, if not the most well-known and upper echelon lawyers. In the past, he has represented a lot of high-class clientele such as Justin Bieber and Alan Eagleson. We should note that Muzo was not unknown to police. He had incurred a number of driving infractions prior to murdering these four people. Those infractions included driving while distracted, speeding, and texting while driving. This was very clearly already a man who had run afoul of the law while driving and yet hadn't learned a thing. Much like we say that about murderers and they tend to have a pattern as they build up to their worst crimes, Muzo had proven that he didn't care about breaking the law. He always drove fast, loud, and without a care in the world. As always seems to be the case, immediately people started to stand up and spread the word that Muzo was a good human being. Reference letters were submitted also to the defense team of Muzo explaining how down to earth he was, how humble he was, and how much work he did for everyone around him. He was described as a man who did yard and winter cleanup for others, a man who helped the elderly, and a man who would stop to help others on the side of the road. 
all, all of those things, you know, they do matter, right? I mean, it certainly means that you're less of a murderer if you're good at pretending that you're a good person, right? Most of the people that we've talked about on this show are people who manage to live a decent double life to try and appear like good people. Spoiler alert, you're not a good person if you feel that you live above the law, and you certainly are not a good person if you kill other human beings. Muzzo would be charged with 12 counts of impaired driving and six more charges of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. On Wednesday, January 6, 2016, the case would wind up fast-tracking along. The day started out in a bail court, a hearing to find out what the conditions would be for Muzo so that he could get out of jail and await his proceedings. The day would then move along to a superior court judge in Canada who ruled that Muzo could return to court on February 4th to enter a guilty plea for the charges. Muzo's lawyer would go on to say that his client had expressed sorrow from the very beginning and he had a wish for the proceedings to be expedited so that things could be dealt with as quickly and painlessly for the family as possible. I think that it was a little bit late for that. Perhaps with all of that money that he had, he could have sprung for a taxi or a limo or some kind of ride when he arrived drunk in Toronto. Perhaps that was the time to try and save time, heartbreak, and pain. Certainly. I think that this is one of the things that drives me the most crazy about this case. Like I said, this guy clearly believed that he was above everything. He didn't learn from previous driving issues. He basically had more money than multiple generations of families will ever see. And yet, he just felt fine about driving drunk and driving fast and being careless. Edward and Jennifer would express some small sense of gratitude, gratitude towards the guilty plea, knowing that they would not be subject then to a full trial and could somehow attempt to move forward with their lives. Muzo would plead guilty on February 4th to the charges that were brought by the prosecution. Four counts of impaired driving causing death and two of impaired driving causing bodily harm. He was then released on bail until his court date for sentencing. His bail was set at $1 million and he had house arrest imposed on him as well. He had a curfew, a driving ban, a ban on drinking, and he was forbidden from having any contact with the Neville Lake family. In Canada, the charge of impaired driving causing death carries a maximum sentence of life in prison, while the bodily harm charges would carry a maximum sentence of 10 years. It was made public that there was not a plea deal in the case, and as such, the defense and prosecution would be submitting different sentencing suggestions for the case to the judge. What I find funny is that there was a push in the media to tell people that Muzo was not being treated differently because he was from a wealthy family. It just it didn't make sense to me at all. It's very rare in Canada for anyone to be granted bail for the first time in between their plea and their sentencing. So there's already that. But can we also just state the obvious? Most people aren't able to meet a $1 million surety to grant bail. So, while the push was on at this point to tell people that Muzo was not going to be treated differently because he was rich, he certainly had time outside of prison that was purchased. The sentencing hearing would last for two days. 
The first day was devoted to the Neville Lake family and the victims themselves. When the time came for Muzo to take the stand, the family left the courtroom. When asked later why they did so, Jennifer stated something that should seem right on the money to anyone that is listening to this episode. She said that there was nothing that Muzo could say that was going to change anything for them or make them feel any differently than they already did. The second day of the hearing was all about Muzo, though. Letters of support, expressions that were made to help the court see that he wasn't a bad man and that he was being misrepresented in the media. I don't see how that was the case. This was clearly a man who was not new to driving infractions, as we mentioned earlier. It appeared to me like intent the intent was to show that this was the only mistake that this man had ever made, which frankly was not the case. Muzo would say in court that he would spend the rest of his life trying to atone for what he had done and trying to help educate others on the perils of drunk driving. For me, this falls on deaf ears. It's easy to be apologetic after the fact. For me, I mean, the fact that he did this after already being in trouble before already shows that, like, there's a lack of remorse and he doesn't learn and there's nothing that he's sorry for. I hope that he lives the rest of his life knowing and living with the demons that come with the fact that he wiped out an entire generation of a family and more. The defense team argued for a sentence of 8 years, while the prosecution argued for 10 to 12 years. In the end, on March 29, 2016, Marco Muzo was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was also given a 12-year driving suspension. The driving ban was set to begin only after Muzo was released from custody. In November of 2018, Muzo would take his first attempt at getting early parole. The parole board felt that he was not taking full responsibility for what he had done and that he had not fully dealt with his alcohol addiction issues. As such, his quest for early parole at that point was denied. On this attempt, he was denied full parole and day parole. The parole board also brought up the fact that he had previously been arrested for public intoxication in 2012 and also threatened to kick out windows on a police car after his arrest that time. This was the first time that the public was made aware of that arrest. In May of 2020, Muzo would be released from prison on day parole, which in Canada means that he was allowed to be a part of the general public during the day, but had to return to a halfway house or prison at night. That was after serving four years of his prison term. In November of 2020, he would have his day parole extended and also the parole board worked towards setting a date for his full parole. Then, in February of 2021, less than six years after murdering four people, Muzo would be granted full parole. So, on one hand, you have a man who murdered four people, and yes, I will say in cold blood. Less than six years later, he is out on the streets again. So, he can't drive. Do we really believe that he cares that that was imposed on him? How many people have most of us known in our lives who drive when they don't have a license? Didn't he already drive when he shouldn't have been, when he was drunk? We have discussed this in the past. All of the sanctions that are put on people by the legal system 
are not really all that enforceable to begin with. They will just serve as another reason to slap him on the wrist again if he's found to be driving a car when he shouldn't be. On the other hand, you have the family. A family that, in Jennifer's own words, had been forced to serve a life sentence of their own. They are the ones that won't be getting their family back. They are the ones that won't be seeing their family members again. They are the ones that will deal with the repercussions of these circumstances forever. Exactly. Not the multi-million dollar man. He will move on with his life. In fact, at his parole hearing when he was granted full parole, the board brought up the fact that they didn't believe that Muzo had fully accepted the gravity of what he had done still. He even had expressed the desire to live and work again near the intersection where he had carelessly driven in this accident. In my opinion, this shows that while he may accept responsibility for what he did, he will never understand what he did to the Neville Lake family. He doesn't even understand how his presence in that area, passing by a memorial for the people that he murdered, may affect the family. Jennifer has even stated over time that she has never even heard Muzo say that he killed four members of her family. There is a major difference between saying that you drove under the influence and your actions caused death and admitting that you murdered four people. In cold blood. I really don't care what anyone says. From where I sit, if you drive a vehicle drunk, there is some uh, semblance of intent in that action. You know that if you drive drunk, you are driving a deadly weapon. You know that you could cause something like this to happen, and yet he carried on. That is a weapon, and that is intent in my opinion. Unfortunately, the repercussions of that day back in 2015 are still reverberating today. Just recently, on June 19, 2022, Peel Regional Police were called to the home of Edward Lake in Brampton to investigate an altercation at the home. We should mention that Edward and Jennifer had separated previously. During the interaction with police, an altercation broke out and Edward was tasered. Edward would be charged with one count of assault and released into the custody of paramedics. He was taken to the hospital, looked at, and later released. The following day, on June 20th, 2022, Edward Lake was found dead. He committed suicide, becoming the fifth member of the family to have died because of this incident. The man had been through more than any parent should ever have to go through. My grandparents have had to bury two adult children, so I know from experience that that is tough enough. No parent should ever have to attend the funeral of their child or children. That's just not the way that things are supposed to work. But it is exponentially worse when you have to attend funerals for your children who were still children. I don't believe that you ever can recover from that completely. The heartbreak just continues in this case, really. My heart goes out to Jennifer every day. She is a strong woman, but this is beyond any strength that a person can have. To close the episodic part of this podcast, we want to talk about two things. The first thing is the Canadian justice system and the way that it deals with drunk driving. Canada actually has the highest rate of drunk driving deaths in the developed world. There are approximately 1,500 deaths in Canada because of drunk driving every single year. 
It's actually Canada's leading cause of criminal death, more than double the rate of homicides, which is roughly 600 to 700 per year. Muzo's 10-year sentence, which was turned into far less, was actually one of the harsher sentences in this country for this crime. That is startling. If you have a chance, sign petitions, join the fight, and help get the word out. Drunk driving along with sexual assault in this country are criminally underpunished. The second thing that we will bring up is suicide. In the wake of Edward Lake's suicide, adding another level of grief, suffering, and pain to this case, we do want to remind people in Canada that if you or someone you know is considering suicide, there is help out there. You can visit crisisservicescanada.ca or you can call the National Suicide Prevention Helpline at 1-833-456-4566 or the Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868. As someone who struggled with suicidal thoughts and tendencies when I was younger, I will say this, reach out for help. It's never too late to get help and we live in an age where help is around in an abundance. Talk to someone if you need to talk to someone. Ugh, this case is so heavy on my heart. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, Lance, about this case? Oh my goodness, there's just so much. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about how Canada looks at, um, you know, vehicular homicide or drunk driving differently than murder. And, you know, like, they look at a vehicle as different than a gun. And for me, I don't see the difference. I mean, if I go and I, if I go out and I have a gun and I've decided I'm going to kill someone, I have the weapon, I've premeditated, and it's premeditated murder. But, and as someone who, you know, has been around this a lot in my life, you know, people do have that moment where it's like, hmm, have I had enough to drink? Or, sorry, have I had too much to drink? Can I drive my car? First of all, if you're wondering, it's probably already the answer is no. Yeah, exactly. But to me, that's still, there's a moment of premeditation. There's that moment of thinking about it, you know? The same as if you're thinking about going to shoot someone. Yeah. And then you get behind the vehicle of a car. We all see how awful the roads are every day. Doesn't matter if you're on the highway anymore or a side road. People already are awful drivers driving around in weapons that can kill people. Yeah, and not only just that, I might add like pedestrians jaywalk all the time so you're not just having to look out for cars on the road you're also having to look out for people on the road yep this guy obviously you know thought well these are like not busy streets even though it was the middle of the afternoon i'll be fine yeah and like i said the thing that i can't get over enough here is like this guy has so much money like for the love of god call and get an uber or something or you know there's so many of those programs the dd driving what, yeah. what's that called again uh i think it's just called dd which is designated driver i think yeah like they will literally come pick you up drive you in their car and drive have someone else drive your car like how is this not a thing you know, know like if you got off of a private jet because you're rich from miami from your bachelor party and you're drunk there's so many options out there. And, like, we used it at our wedding. And let me tell you, we're not rich. Yeah. Well, I think another thing, too, to mention that you had just said now is that 
when you consider drunk driving a weapon and premeditated. I don't even think he thought about that. I think it was just a regular thing from, oh, I'm drunk, I'm going home, there's my car, I'm gonna drive home. I don't even think he thought, oh, did I have too much to drink? I think it was just like, got off the plane, got in his car and drove, because that really shows the level of entitlement and spoiled and brat that he was. That was just a normal thing for him. I bet you this was not the first time he drove drunk. It was probably just the first time he got caught driving drunk. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I wanna point out here, I don't have a name, and if I did, I wouldn't say it anyways, because I think we've all been in a similar situation. But the one thing that I did read a bunch of places, and we mentioned in the episode, is that there was a friend who was familiar with the situation, so obviously maybe on the private jet with Muzo, who knew that he had had a bunch to drink on the flight back to Toronto. If you know that someone, and if you're at their bachelor party, that's probably a pretty close friend. If you know someone is your close friend or not even your close friend Mm -hmm. and they're drunk, don't let them drive. Like to say after the fact, like, oh yeah, that guy drank a lot. I saw him on the plane or I know he drank a lot on the plane. Like you're kind of guilty too. And even if you're like nervous to like say something to your friend, just when they leave, call the police and just tell the police, hey, my friend left. He's drunk. This is where he's going. You know, this is the car he drives or her or whatever. Because like you can still call anonymously and your friend would never know. But you're protecting lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I think a lot of things here are almost like a joke. Like, first of all, obviously his sentence, that's sentencing. That's ridiculous. Like, you killed people. Your sentence should be for life. Doesn't matter. End of story. But also, even just a little thing, like his driving was suspended for 12 years like, that's ridiculous. Like, you, at, at least you should be banned from driving for the rest of your life. Oh, at least. And I'm pretty sure I couldn't find anything to fully corroborate it, but I'm pretty sure it's like that sentence got shortened also. I mean, he's not driving now, but I feel like I think I read somewhere that it's like 2025 or something. He'll be able to drive again. Yeah, and that's scary. And I don't think he should be able to live anywhere in Vaughn. I think they should, sorry, that person, like, get a restraining order, get them out of the city. Yeah. You know, it's Can terrible. you imagine being okay with driving past a memorial for people that yeah. you killed? I think that shows that he doesn't have remorse. I because feel... if you had remorse, every time you would walk by or drive by that spot, it would eat you up inside. Yeah, 100%. I feel like he, it's kind of like, um, you know, like, like we said earlier, he's accepted that he made a mistake in driving drunk, mm-hmm. but the alcohol is what did it, not yeah, him. Yeah, no, like no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, on another note, what do you think about the the hospital and how the family name and some people are saying that it should be removed and all that stuff? Like, I'm curious to know what you think about that. Yeah, like I'm pretty cut and dry on this and it actually might surprise people. So just to catch you up on what Julie's talking about, first of all, um, Obviously, Edward's death and um, all of this is like fresh in the news again. And one of the things that out is out in the public and getting pushed is there's people that have petitions and movements that are starting because the Muzo name is on. I'm not going to remember the two hospitals, so I'll leave the names out. But I know one of them is like a maternity ward as well. And people want the name taken down. So I actually don't agree with this. Um, I think that because Marco made a stupid mistake and he did what he did and caused all these deaths, if it was called like the Marco Muzo even after his dad, 
you know, wing of the hospital, then I could see it. But the Muzo name, I mean, they donated a plethora of money. Like, this family was very into philanthropy. They paid money into things that they felt uh, passionate about. They paid money out to people and causes that needed it and deserved it. I don't think that you should strike out an entire family name. I mean, what if you're not even related to Marco and you're like, from some other country or whatever and you donated money to that hospital would we be fighting for the muzo name to come off then like are you just banished from having your name on anything if you're named after you have the same name as anyone really yeah you know? yeah well and like i don't know if you know more information about the family but like was the family good people you well, know? yeah, I mean, like, I mean, when you're donating millions of dollars to hospitals and wings of hospitals, I mean, obviously, I don't didn't dive deep into the family. But, you know, like we when you're rich, people love you and hate you. That's you know, true. like we covered we covered Barry and Honey Sherman. You know, they had this company. And of course, there was people that hated them because they specifically were making drugs that were, you know, undercutting price and production on big name companies. So again, you have a family and they donated a lot of money to like Jewish functions and things like that in Toronto. So yeah, of course, there's going to be people that love you and hate you no matter what you do. When you're rich, not everybody loves you. That's yeah. for sure. Not everybody hates you. Yeah. You yeah. know, because I mean, obviously these hospitals were like, you know, thank you so much for helping us build a wing of a hospital. Yeah. You know, so anyways, all of that is a long way of saying like a hundred percent um i might catch flack for this but i don't think the muzo name should be taken off of places where the family donated money my problem isn't with marco senior my problem is not with any of his family my problem is with marco muzo jr you're yeah, you're an idiot right. you're an asshat yeah. you know you got behind the wheel of that car when you were drunk you killed people and like you said you shouldn't be driving you should there's lots of things that shouldn't be here he shouldn't be out of jail in my opinion i agree he should still be in jail and he should be there long enough to feel bad and guilty and like realize that he not only destroyed everyone else's life but he also destroyed his own life and that's where it comes back to the money i mean let's be fair if if you were just some other not rich murderer and you went to your parole board, do you think that in the same breath they'd be saying like, oh yeah, you can like go back out on the streets, but we don't think that you've actually like fully grasped what you mm -hmm. did here. You know, like yeah. isn't, you know, the point of going to prison, isn't part of that, it's about realizing what you did, what you caused, and like, you know, coming to grips and fully understanding it. They literally said, like, yeah, you don't get it, but, you know, like, we're we're strapped in the prison system, so you can you can probably be one of those yeah. ones we let well, go. Well, even the $1 million bail, like, that's a joke for that family. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, that's nothing. Like, he heard that, and the rest of the regular people, I'll say, would be like, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Like, he's never getting out. Then they're like, eh, whatever, $1 yeah. million, that's not a big deal. Exactly. You know? I mean, they could come up with that if he decided to flee the country or whatever anyways. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone here. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of vitriol, you know. And I don't I don't disparage the people that are standing up and saying they want the Muzo name off. Like, if that's what you believe in, fight for it. I'm not going to be the person to sit here and say anyone's wrong. I just, I personally don't think that, like, the Muzo name needs to come off of everything. Um, this guy, he needs to be dealt with and needed to be dealt with differently. But I don't agree that, like, 
the family's donations and philanthropy should just be like swept by the wayside. Well, maybe it's the community's way of saying that they stand behind the Neville Lake family and how hard it would be to just see that name again. Yeah. You know, so that. like maybe it's not necessarily against the, you know, the senior Muzos, mm-hmm. but it's just for the, the Neville Lake family that every time they have to like hear about that hospital or hospitals or hear that name, like all those those emotions and those memories keep flooding in. For sure. And as a maternity ward or whatever it is, I know it's something to do with children in trial. Yeah. Like obviously that's something you don't want Marco's name tied yeah. into because of what happened here. Yeah. So I think um, it's a nice way of the community to stand behind the Neville Lake family. And I think everyone should, you know, reach out to anyone going through stuff like this. Be there for them. Even if you're just a stranger, send out your your messages and all that stuff because um we can't imagine what this family's gone through um you know all the support systems that you usually have are just gone um so we just really feel for them and uh we're sorry for the loss of all the family members in this and the loss of the family that that could have been in all of this so yeah for sure and i mean like jennifer lost everything yeah you know like how how much more you know, they say water from a stone. There's no water left in the stone. Yeah. Like she lost everything here. Yeah, it's so sad. So I think everyone needs to stand together and be, you know, be better, like we always say, and just be there for one another because this world is hard and th- and accidents happen every single day. Like you always think, oh, that, that won't happen to me. That won't, this or that. But you know what? You never know. So I think let's just all be there for each other. Make the time we have together count. And, um, you know, for everybody on the other side of the spectrum, just make better decisions. Yeah. You know? Is there anything else you want to add? Um, no. This episode was just really sad. And I think it's extremely sad because, it, like, it's been in the media for so long. Like, it goes away and comes back, goes away mm. and comes back again. So, I think it's something that really touched the community, especially here in Ontario. Um, and I just want everyone to know that uh, this is why we do this. Because just because this happened a long time ago, it doesn't mean that uh, we're going to forget about it. And as much as we can, we will continue to spread the word on these uh, these horrible, horrible crimes. Yep, for sure. I mean, we need to learn from the crimes. We need to learn from the criminals. And we need to obviously keep um, the names of the victims, especially out in the public. Definitely, definitely. All so, right. So I'm going to throw a wrap on it. <laughs> yeah, so everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for supporting us and the victims uh, and the families of the victims. So we'll see you next time. And um, just remember to be better.